0: Today on the Scotts Hill podcast, we are in our series on the Gospel of John. John writes his gospel that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Enjoy and be challenged by the word of the Lord. Well, good morning and welcome to Scotts Hill Baptist Church. My name is Jeff Poteet. I'm one of the pastors that has the privilege to serve here. And we're so grateful that you're here with us today and if you're with us online we're so grateful that you continue to tune in with us each and every week and today we are continuing in our series called believe in which we are going through the gospel of john and we're looking at different portraits of jesus uh, through the gospel but we're not just looking at portraits about him just to get information about jesus our desire is as we look at these portraits and as we come to understand the truths that they contain Uh, The question that we want to ask is, if we truly believe this, if we believe that this is true, how does that impact our lives on a daily basis? Uh, So we don't just want it to be informational, we want it to be transformational. And if you've been with us and you've been kind of tracking along with us over the course of the last several weeks, you know that Jesus is beginning to develop quite a following, isn't he? People are starting to follow him, uh, and it's not really hard for us to understand why or to see why, uh, especially whenever we think, even in maybe our own lives, uh, how we tend to follow cultural influencers. Uh, So whether for you it is on Facebook or Instagram, TikTok, or maybe even your favorite YouTube channel, uh, there are some things that all influencers seem to have in common as it relates to gaining a following. I I read an article this week that identified four of those, and so I'm going to give them to you here uh, briefly. Uh, The first one is that they are responsive. So if somebody posts something on social media that sparks a question in uh, their readers' or their hearers' minds, And they go and ask that question. They are expecting that influencer to interact with them in a way that is personalized to them as an individual, that answers their question and connects with them. And if we think about Jesus, he does this, doesn't he? Think about Nicodemus. Nicodemus came to Jesus in the middle of the night and started asking him all kinds of questions. And what did Jesus do? He answered each and every one in a very patient manner, addressing uh, Nicodemus in a way that he felt seen in the, the questions that he was asking. The second one is this. They feel like friends. And Jesus certainly does this. Think about the Samaritan woman. Do you remember what, what she told people whenever she went and talked to them about Jesus? She said, come see a man that did what? Told me everything that I've ever done. Now, I don't know if you guys really want to have a friend like that, because that could be really problematic on a couple of different levels. But we see Jesus doing that, and we see people finding that to be attractive to them. We also see that they are experts at something that I'm not. Now, over the course of the last several years, we have had an absolute increase in electricians, plumbers, contractors, and mechanics, haven't we? And do you know where they've gotten all of their information? YouTube, right? And you guys who have those businesses, you are really reaping the benefits for those people that try it, and then they have to come to you to get it fixed. Now, Jesus does this, doesn't he? Think about what uh, happens in John chapter six. Jesus just hosted a dinner party for 5,000 people plus women and children. And you know how many things he had to do that with? Five loaves and two fish. Now, if you wanna talk about hosting a party on a shoestring budget, (laughs) Jesus has got it. I mean, Martha Stewart has got nothing on Jesus in this situation. But also we see that they demonstrate products that could make my life better. We love gadgets, don't we? How many of you love gadgets and you go and you find things and you buy them and then you put them in the drawer and they never get used after that one time that you tried them and it really didn't work? Well, people are maybe looking at Jesus saying, well, maybe Jesus is the human gadget. Maybe he is the thing. I mean, look what he does. He heals people that are paralytic. He heals people that are at the point of death. He turns water into wine. I mean, this guy can do it all. So really, it's not surprising to us that he has begun to gain a significant following in his life. And for us, we look at that and we recognize, well, people are followers. They follow for a variety of reasons. And our mode today may be different than it was then. But the reality is this. From the beginning of time, people follow other people. And what we're going to see is no different today in John chapter 6. So if you want to go ahead and open in your Bibles there, uh, that's where we're going to be spending our time this morning is John chapter 6. But before we jump into the text, let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you that we have the opportunity to read your word. We're, good, grateful. we're so grateful that you've given it to us. We pray that we use it to transform our hearts and our minds today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. John chapter 6, we're going to be starting in verse number 22. So uh, we have it on the screens. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open that up. We have some Bibles in the seat in front of you. If you didn't bring one, uh, we'd love for you to to check it out there as well. So John chapter 6, verse 22. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Now, can't you just imagine that next morning, Jesus just fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fishes in the evening. And can you just imagine waking up the next day as somebody that had been part of that and thinking, ah, oh, what's the breakfast buffet going to be like today? Oh, if I can just find Jesus, I know that he's going he's to make up something real good this morning. And so they go out looking for him. They go out looking to see where is Jesus, and and I love whenever they find him, I love how they they start the conversation. When they went on the other side of the boat, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Now, it seems like a funny question for us as we think about it. Uh, The text says that they knew that Jesus was not in the boat with the disciples, but then the next day he was on the other side. It seems really like the question they should have asked is, Jesus, how did you get to the other side of the, of, the, of the river? But they asked this question, when did you get here? And regardless of this question, rather than answering it, Jesus begins to uncover their motives for why they were following him, for why they were actually trying to find him in the first place. You see, the reason he's doing this is because Jesus's goal wasn't merely to b- build a superficial following, but to satisfy famished hearts. That was his heart's desire, not to build a superficial following, but to satisfy famished hearts. And Jesus begins to uncover their motives as to why they were coming after him. The first motive that he uncovers is this. We will follow you if you fulfill our passions. Jesus will follow you. We'll follow you across the river. We'll follow you across the world as long as you fulfill our passions. Notice what Jesus says to them. Jesus answered them. Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Jesus knew exactly why they were following him. Jesus knew exactly why they were seeking him. You see, they saw him as a means to get to their ends. They wanted their bellies full, and they saw Jesus as the the means to get there. You see, they really didn't want Jesus. They just wanted Jesus for what he could get them. They, he, they knew that he could get them what they really wanted. Early in our marriage, uh, Ashley and I were invited by uh, one of these pots and pans companies to come to uh, a demonstration. I don't know if you guys have ever been invited to something like that or maybe a timeshare. And, and what they do is they say, if you'll come listen to our pot and pan demonstration, we'll give you a fabulous vacation. And so what did we do? We, we were here and, the, and the, the trip was up to Fayetteville. That's where we had to go to listen to this, this spiel. And so what we said is, all right, it's an hour and a half. Let's go listen to it because they're going to give us a vacation. So we went, we listened to the spiel about the pots and the pans. And you know what we didn't come home with? Pots and pans. We did not come home with pots and pans because we never had an intention of buying pots and pans. The pot and pan demonstration was just a means to get to our end of a fabulous vacation see i wonder how many of us maybe on varying degrees or levels treat jesus like that ourselves you we see him as a means to our ends oh we'll listen to him we'll follow him as long as he keeps us healthy as long as he keeps me rich as long as he keeps my belly full but at the first twinge of hunger at the first sign of unhealth, man, we're, we're gone in a split second. We, maybe not physically, but maybe in our hearts, we start looking for other ways in which we can fill those satisfactions, those desires. You see, they thought that physical reality of bread was the end of the story, but they failed to see the transcendent reality that was pointing their attention and their hearts to who Jesus was. You see, he points out to them that they were so consumed with everyday sustenance that they failed to pursue that which was truly lasting. We see it as he talks to them. In verse 27, he says, "'Do not work for the food that perishes, "'but for the food that endures to eternal life, "'which the Son of Man will give you, "'for on him God the Father has set his seal.'" You see, what Jesus is beginning to unearth in their minds is that their physical hunger, though it is a real thing, is not the most significant hunger that they experience. And because it's not the most significant hunger they experience, it's not the most important hunger that they need to have satisfied. And not only does he help identify that in their lives, he is pointing to them the reality that there is something that does satisfy that hunger. There is something that does satisfy that desire. And you guys know that this hunger is not just unique to them. It's unique, it's, it's real for us. Think about the reality that there are now over 4,000 religions in the world that seek to satisfy that hunger, that longing that there is something that, that I can find that will fill me, that there is something that I can find that will, that will truly satisfy my heart's desire. Jesus, in this time, moves their minds beyond the temporal desires to something eternal. And this eternal perspective is always related to who he is, but they miss the point. They still think that Jesus is all about their temporal desires, and, and they just adjust their questions. Rather than coming to him, asking what, what do they need to do to be saved, or, or what does it mean for him to be there? They just adjust their questions. They adjust their questions to find out what kind of works they need to do. What is it that we need to do, Jesus, to get this food? And in so doing, they reveal another motive. They say, we will follow you, Jesus, if you accept our performance. We'll follow you if you'll accept our performance. Notice what they say. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? How many of you guys are checklist people? How many checklist people do we have? Wow, a lot of you guys are checklist people. Well, these people are as well. They are checklist kind of people. The crowd, they they, they think, okay, Jesus says that there's this bread that is eternal. This this must be an extremely costly kind of bread. So surely there is some kind of great work that God would require of us in order to earn this kind of bread. What is this special assignment that God would require of us so that we can know, that we can know, that we can know that we get this bread, that we get this thing that we are after. And this is not something that should surprise us. It's how our society functions, isn't it? We have a job. We go to that job and we put in a hard day's work. We, we labor diligently for the hours that we're supposed to be there and we get a paycheck in return. The listeners are no different. What they are hoping to hear is that there is something that they can do to gain God's approval, to gain his affirmation in their lives. They want to be the ones that are in charge of their destinies. They want to be the ones that are the captain of their own ships. They wanted to take their portfolio of good deeds to God to receive his commendation. But rather than giving them a list, rather than giving them a checklist of things that they need to do in order to be saved, Jesus just tells them that there's one thing. Notice what he says. Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Jesus wants them to see as he wants us to see that this eternal food, this food that satisfies is a gift to be received. It's not a payment for our works. There's not a work that we can do for God that earns his favor, but it's all in the work that he has already done for us. It's what he's accomplished for us. And Jesus points their attention to this reality that it's not about your works. It's about your faith. And he said, it's not just faith in anything as if there's just some random deity that you can worship and believe in. He says it's faith in a particular thing, a particular one, the one that God has sent. So this, for the hearers, sounds pretty good. Okay, so it's not about what I can do for you, which begins to uncover a third motivation. We will follow you, Jesus, if you'll abide by our parameters. So if it's not what I have to do for you, then Jesus, what are you going to do for us? What are you going to do for us that proves that we should believe you? Can you believe this? This crowd is demanding a sign from Jesus to prove that he is worth following. I mean, I call this the if-then follower. Jesus, if you do this and you fill in the blank with whatever this is, then I'll follow you. I'll come to you if you'll do whatever it is that I am commanding and demanding that you do. Now we read this and we're kind of like, huh, that's pretty, pretty brash. These guys are, they think that they are something, but the reality is in that time, they were expecting for the Messiah to come and do greater works than Moses did, to come and bring manna from heaven. And you would think that Jesus, having just turned the loaves into a huge meal, would have done enough, but they're thinking, no, Jesus, the bread was already there. You didn't make that bread. You show us a way that is so miraculous that we would never ever question you and your ability. You know what this looks like in your own lives. If you have kids, uh, you've maybe tried to pull this one on them before. Whenever maybe their room is really dirty and you want it clean, but you know if I just tell them to go clean my room, their room, they're probably not gonna do it. So you try to pull this one, you know? It probably is too hard for you to clean your room. You know, I bet it would take you way too long. You don't have the strength or the energy to accomplish that. Our hopes are that they're going to say, I'll show you and go and clean their room. They do the same thing with Jesus. They're saying, Jesus, I bet you can't do that. I bet you can't can't bring manna from heaven. Show us that you are better than Moses. And we do this all the time to Jesus, don't we? We put conditions on him. We put conditions on him for us to follow him or to obey his word. Jesus, if you can answer all my questions about Christianity, then I'll follow you. Jesus, if you'll get me out of this difficult situation, then I know that I can follow you. Maybe for you, it's not one of those things, but maybe you look around at how God is working in the lives of other people, and you say, Jesus, if you'll, just, if you'll just make my husband like you made her husband, then I'll follow you. Jesus, if you'll just get me a promotion like you got him a promotion, then I can follow you. But Jesus cuts through these motives. He cuts through these questions and he identifies the true source. Jesus says to them, so they say uh, to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you do to perform for us? Our fathers ate in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus answers them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus corrects their misunderstanding. He says, guys, it wasn't Moses who gave you the bread in the wilderness. And in fact, If you go back and read it, it is clear that it is God who gave the bread. He's helping them see, guys, you have made the wrong actor the lead role in this play. It's God who is the lead actor in this play. It's not Moses. And rather than them asking the question, Jesus, what is God providing for us in you? What is is the reason that you are here? They just want to say, what can you give to us? What can you give to us? And he is helping them to see that that bread that they ate, it was just earthly bread from, a, from the sky, not true bread from heaven, because that's what Jesus is there to be. This word that Jesus uses for life its the Greek word zoe. And if you look at it throughout the gospel of John, it is, it is pointing not to just physical sustenance, physical life, but it always points to eternal life. It's not just what the bread would give. It's what God gives. He is the one that gives eternal life. And Jesus wants to help them see that this bread, this eternal bread that comes down from my father is not just for the Jewish people. It's for the world. It's for all who would come and find satisfaction and joy in this one who was sent. So Jesus is building this picture for them. He's showing them systematically that there is a bread that is for their fulfillment. He's showing them the source of this bread and he's showing them identity of this bread, but they still miss it. They miss it because of their superficial motives. They wanna have their needs met. They want to do it on their own or they want Jesus to prove himself to them. We see this in their last statement before Jesus addresses them. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Give us this bread always. Whenever we read this, we recognize that Jesus knows why they were there. He knew why they were there that morning. And for us, we look at that and we say, You know, I would have figured that out. I would have have heard what Jesus said and, and I would have agreed with him and I would have worshiped him. But before we get too self righteous with Jesus and with these people, He knew why they were there that morning. He knows why each and every one of us are here this morning. He knows why we're here. He knows if we're here because we see him as a means to our own ends. He knows if we're here today uh, thinking that we have to earn our way to him. He knows if we're here today and trying to call the shots on how he must act in order for us to come to him. And his goal for us is not to just encourage us in that way, to say, keep going. You guys are doing great. What he wants us to do is to see that there's a better way, that there's a better way that he provides for us. And he does this in such a hopeful word because Jesus is showing himself to be the source that fills their famished hearts. Jesus wants to show himself to be that source for them and for us. So he pulls back the curtain of what might have seemed vague to them. They might've said, well, this is a little bit unclear. And he gives them hope. He gives them three truths that I believe he wants them to see, and I believe that he wants us to see as well. The first thing that he helps them to see is this. While people pursue their passions, God delivers true satisfaction. People pursue their passions, but God delivers true satisfaction. Notice what he says in verse 35 and 36. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst but I say to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe could Jesus have given them bread for the rest of their lives absolutely every single day he could have made so much bread that they got sick of eating bread but he didn't do that he is reminding them and he knows that even if he gave them bread every single day of their lives they would wake up the next day and they would be hungry They would still be looking for something that could satisfy. And friends, Jesus loves us too much to let us go on pursuing passions that can never satisfy the deepest longings of our souls. And as much as we think we need bread, which is a real need, there's one hunger, there's one thirst, that there's nothing in this world that can satisfy. But Jesus helps us to see that there is one who can satisfy it. He says, "I am the bread of life." Now those first two words for us, "Ego, a me," may seem like seem like just two words of identification, but for the hearers, this would have sent shockwaves through their hearts and their minds. You see, Jesus wasn't just identifying himself personally like, "I am John," or "I am a builder." No, he was making a divine proclamation as he addressed the crowd. And how do we know this is true? If we jump back in our minds just for a moment to Exodus chapter 3. You remember that scene whenever God told Moses to go and tell the people of God, to tell Israel that he was going to bring them out of Egypt. And, and Moses said, what am I going to tell them? Who do I tell them has sent me? And this is what God says to Moses. He says, I am who I am. And God said to him, say this to the people of Israel, I am. Am has sent you. You see, Jesus wanted them to know that He is not a prophet that is bringing object lessons to direct their attention to God. No, He is God in the flesh who has come to satisfy their souls. You see, He's helping them to see that it's always been Him. It's not just Him then, it is Him always. He is the one that they cannot live without. It's not the physical bread that their hearts are so inclined to go after. It is Him. He is saying, I am all that you need. I am the thing that you are looking for. The manna that you hunger for, the manna that you long for, as phenomenal as a, of a picture as that is, it's never going to meet your greatest need. It's never going to truly fill you. And even in the wilderness, whenever God gave the manna, it wasn't just so that you would be happy and satisfied with the bread. It was meant to be a ray a picture, a pointer back to the one who gives the bread so that you would find your hope and your trust in him, not the bread itself. And Jesus wants them to see that whether it was in the wilderness, whether it was in the synagogue that day, or whether it is in Wilmington today, we are far too easily satisfied with morsels of bread. We are far too easily satisfied with the things that we think we need while we bypass the thing that we truly need. Jesus is helping them to see that every time we go after those things that only satisfy temporarily, we are are forfeiting the thing that will actually satisfy our souls. He tells us that this satisfaction comes in the fact that we would not become hungry, that we would not become thirsty, that we would always have eternal life. And it's not uh, because of what those things are, but because he is the I am. He is the bread of life. He is the one that is who we were made for. He also tells us that he is the living bread. He does not need to derive life from outside of himself. He is the one who is eternally existent and all the food that they've ingested hoping to find fulfillment will only leave them hungry tomorrow. Jesus says, I am the one that will fill the core emptiness of your soul. The one that will fill that to the point that once it is filled those passions that we pursue no longer seem quite so appetizing because our souls are satisfied in Christ. Not only does he help them to see that while people pursue their passions, God delivers satisfaction, he always also wants them to see this, that people set parameters, but God designs the plan. Notice how he says it in verses 37 and following. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. If you'll recall the response of the crowd, we will come to you if, Jesus says, no, you will come to me when? When? We want to put conditions on Jesus, but we always realize from this passage that it is actually God who compels us to come. That people wanted to define their terms of following. They wanted to say, Jesus, you work for us. And Jesus could have done this. He could have done something like pulling rabbits out of hats. He could have done all kinds of signs and wonders for them, but he doesn't put his confidence in the, the positive response from well meaning people, he doesn't say if I do enough good stuff, then they'll follow me. No, he has confidence that the Father will accomplish all his redemptive purposes, that the message will not fail to change the hearts of those who hear. And this is a beautiful picture for us of how God's sovereignty and his uh, pr- perspective in that and our responsibility work together. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you know this on some level. There was a point at which all the questions you had to have answered no longer seemed as important anymore. There was a time in your life when all the barriers that you put up, all the ways that you sought to get out of following Jesus began to have holes poked in them. And there was a time in your life when Jesus looked different than he did before. There was a time uh, in which you had uh, an irresistible draw to come and to follow him. God opened your eyes to see your sinfulness. He opened your eyes to see his holiness. He opened your eyes to see that Jesus was your only hope and you surrendered your life to him. You trusted in his finished work on the cross and you followed him as your Lord and Savior. We see this in our lives and and we see how God works to draw us to himself. And so for some of us, this passage is a reminder that God is the one that brings people to himself, that we don't get to just say, uh, Jesus, you do this and then I'll come to you. God is working in our lives to draw us to himself. And there's also a word here that I love. It says, whoever comes to me, I will by no means cast away. So there are some that put up barriers, but then there are some of us We think, man, I've just done too much. I've just done too many things. If Jesus just knew what I did, he could never accept me. He could never never save me. This word is for us as well. He already knows. There's nothing about our lives that he doesn't know. And he still calls us to come and follow him. So for some of you, you find it to be that you wanna put up barriers and some of you feel I've been too wicked to follow Jesus, but Jesus says, come and find in me the satisfaction for your souls. He also wants us to see a third thing, that people prize performance, but God desires faith. People prize performance, but God desires faith. And we see this in verse 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. If you recall, the people also wanted a a list of works that they could do for God. Let me give God my resume, and, and this would really be good for us, wouldn't it? If we could do a bunch of stuff, and then God had to give us salvation, We could say, God, look what I did, now I deserve that. We would put God in the position of serving us and what we need, but over and over and over again, Jesus points our attention to this word, believe. Not only here, but throughout the gospel of John, God calls us to believe or to trust, to have faith in the finished work of Jesus to bring us into a relationship with God. He is saying here that it is a sufficient work It is all that is needed for us to come into a relationship with God. And this will be even made clearer in verse 51 of chapter 6, whenever Jesus says that it is his flesh that he will give for the life of the world. He is pointing our attention to the fact that it will be through his sacrifice that our souls can be satisfied. It is through his sacrifice that we can have a relationship with God. Now, as we hear this, we might expect for light bulbs to start going off we might expect for there to be weeping and joy and tears i mean jesus just gave an altar call of the century he said come to me it's not a pastor saying look to jesus it's jesus saying look to me we would imagine that people would flock and flood to him to receive and respond to this invitation but as we continue on we recognize that that's not what happens Not only does Jesus not get the gratitude for him coming, he only gets grumbling. He only gets people asking more questions. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? You see, Jesus calls them to give up their pursuit of that which perishes for that which can satisfy and although they had seen him they failed to grasp the significance of his miracles the point of his teaching the miracles only made them more hungry for more miracles their, the teaching only uh, made them intrigued about what jesus might be able to do to ease the difficulties of their lives they were unwilling to believe in him as their lord and as their messiah they've seen him but they have only seen him as a mighty man as a potential king, but not as the son of God who perfectly represents the father. They've seen bread and power, not what they signify. The crowd has witnessed the divine revealer at work. that revealed their need and revealed the father, but only their curiosity, appetites, and political ambitions were aroused, not faith. Rather than recant his message, rather than saying, no, guys, that was a little bit too heavy for you. Let me change it to make it a little bit easier for you to follow me. He didn't make his message more palatable to his critics because he knew that those who are truly hungry will find the message irresistible. Those who are truly hungry will find that in him, they see their all in all. And they would pursue him with their whole hearts. And I want us to skip ahead to see how this passage ends. In chapter 6, verse 66, one of the saddest verses in the Bible. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. For us, we see in Peter's life and in the lives of people who are truly satisfied this bottom line truth. If we truly believe that Jesus is the bread of life, we will be filled even in times of testing. Even when things are difficult, even when we don't have our way, even when we are going through trials, we will find that Jesus is all that we need. We will find that he fills the deepest longings of our souls that nothing else could fill. This confession of Peter is the launching point of the rest of the lives of the disciples. They will leave their homes, their families. They will give up their lives because they know that they found true satisfaction. They found in Jesus all they needed for life and godliness, for eternal life and for a fulfilled life in this world. And as we conclude this section of scripture, I believe that there are three questions that this text demands us to answer. The first one is this. What are you seeking to fill you? What are you seeking to fill you? Maybe it's a job. Maybe there's a relationship that you are seeking over and over and over again, a particular type of relationship maybe that you're hoping this will give me the satisfaction that I need. And day after day, week after week, you pursue it with all that you have only to realize that satisfaction is just in one more time. It's just in one more promotion. It's just in one more drink. It's just in one more thing that always seems to elude us and be right outside of our grasp. C.S. Lewis has a great quote and it says, "'If I find in myself a desire "'which no experience in this world can satisfy, "'the most probable explanation "'is that I was made for another world.'" The reality is that we are made for another world and the only way in which we can enjoy all that that has to offer is by being satisfied in a sufficient savior. Jesus says, I'm the source that satisfies that hunger. I'm the one meal that will never disappoint. All the desires that you have for fulfillment are meant to point you not to the desires. They're meant to point you to me. They're meant to point you to me because I died for you. Come, believe, be satisfied. Second question is for those who are maybe regular attenders here or members of Scottsdale Baptist Church, why are you seeking Jesus? Why are you seeking jesus do you see him as a meal ticket do you see him as a merciless taskmaster that always has one more thing for you to do to be accepted do you see him as someone that you can manipulate to chart your own course or to get your own way or do you see him as an all-satisfying savior for whom you can give your life for just so you can have a little bit more of him just so that you can taste and see a little bit more that the the Lord is good and that you can find in him your all in all. And the last question is this, who are you sharing the bread of life with today? Guys, it goes without saying that there are millions and millions and millions of people who are hungry to find true satisfaction and we know where the bread of life is. We know where they can find their satisfaction. We know where they can have their hunger filled. And I love the quote from uh, D.T. Niles that says this, evangelism is just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread because friends, we are all beggars. Jesus has come and found us and we have the privilege to tell other people where they can find that true, lasting, eternal, satisfying joy. So who are you sharing the bread of life with today? Friends, Jesus is the bread of life. He says, all who come to me will never hunger again. All who come to me will never thirst again. So what today? Are you pursuing him with your all and finding in him your true satisfaction? We're gonna pray and then we're gonna stand and we're gonna sing a response to the love that God has shown to us in Christ. Would you pray with me today? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you, are, that you sent Jesus to be the bread of life, that in him we can find true satisfaction, that our hearts can be at rest in him because of who he is, because of what he's done in drawing us to himself. And I pray, Lord, as we continue to grow in our love for him, that we would, that we would joyfully submit to you. It would show the world that you are worth living for. We thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. And we hope that God uses this message in you to transform you more into the image of Christ. If you have any questions about our church or you want to learn more about Jesus, visit our website at scottsill.org slash steps Till next time.